Welcome to Guitar Center. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> so, well, uh, Jeremy, awesome. uh, let's go. Well, listen, I'm, I'm already recording over here. I mean, let, let's just get right into it. Welcome to the show, Butch Walker. Look, there he is, everybody. Yeah. Wow. So, first, <laughs> before we get started, I just want to, like, walk us through what's going on in that studio. Is that your studio? Or are you, like, set up shop somewhere? Or uh, Yeah, it's just like a personal studio space I have here uh, at my house. It's, it's, uh, it's on the property, and I just... Uh, it's where I can uh, make make uh, records, and I do it. I have a place um, right now. I have a studio out out in L.A. that I've had for a while, right. and mm-hmm. um and this has kind of been where I've been more often now is here in Tennessee, and uh, really I really like it. It's peaceful, and I can make a lot of noise. You well, know? it's funny because like Nashville's sort of turned into L.A. East Coast at this point. Like that's where everybody's going. Yeah. yeah, very much so. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm to be clear, I'm like, I'm like 45 minutes outside of, of Nashville. So I'm not mm-hmm. really in the, in Nashville proper, but, uh, but, uh, which I'm okay with because Good. it's a, it's a nice place to visit, but I don't want to live there as they say. Yeah. Um, you, you don't want to, you don't want all the distractions. No, it's pretty distracting. You know, I don't want to, I don't need to get like my shoes thrown up on by some bachelorette, you know, party <laughs> at two o'clock in the afternoon or get run over by a pedal tavern. There you uh, go. You know, it's, it's a little out of hand, but uh, now, uh, yeah. as you know, Jeremy, he's worked with uh, Taylor Swift, Pink, uh, Keith Urban, uh, Green Day, and a bunch of others. But let's start really where it's the most important uh, South Gang. Yep. <laughs> Your most band. important. <laughs> okay. That's right. Uh, South Gang. Is I don't know most... if we were that important, but sure, yeah, we, we can start there. Well, let me just quickly start with. There's a uh, lot of fun. And your drummer had a great name, by the way. Uh, Slug. Mitch. Well, yeah, Mitch. Mitch, Mitch McClee. <laughs> yeah. yeah. None of our names were real, by the way. <laughs> As you do, none of them were real. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was sort of like you know we had, you know, we we were small town. Small town boys, uh, yeah. you know, that were with with big dreams and and boring names, and so we needed mm-hmm. to like fix that. So when we moved to LA, we all literally changed our names from like Jack to Jace, uh, uh, Doug to Mitch, uh, Brad <laughs> to Butch, and Jimmy to Jesse. So wow. that's what we did. Yeah, it was also really hard to. You know, like you had, if you're out there with all these guys named like Buzz fucking Lightyear and all these like weird names, <laughs> yeah. it's like you had to have something kind of special, you know. CC DeVille, you can't just I mean, be you, like well, Greg. You can't, you can't compete <laughs> with Cadillac Coupe DeVille, you no, know. You can't. Yeah, so it's like we had we had to do something because Izzy Stradlin, you know, and Axel yeah. and Slash, those we loved we we loved Guns and Roses. Like I mean, our favorite bands when we moved out there were Guns and Roses and and. And, you know, even older Aerosmith, you know, so like that, we loved mm. blues inspired hard rock. So, yeah. Okay. No, were, were you guys into like Van Halen at all? Or oh, like, big time. I mean, yeah. I mean, that, I, I'm sorry. I thought that went without saying. Right. Uh, right. I mean, we wouldn't be talking right now because I, I literally, it changed my life. And I started playing guitar when I heard Van Halen one for the first mm. time, you know? So it's like, that's obvious Van Halen would be a, an obvious choice. But at that time in 88, yeah. I'd already moved into many, many more new, uh, at the time bands that, you know, so Van Halen was already mm-hmm. almost classic at that point. Right? right. So they already had Sammy Hagar singing for him, which was amazing, but like, it was already that, you know, they, they were well into legend status. Whereas like we were like, uh, what was considered bubbling up at the time, 
86, 87, 88, it would have been, it would have been, it would have been G and R and it would have been, um, I mean, God, I don't even. Well, what was going on at that start. time? Motley uh, Crue, like Motley Dr. Crue, Doctor Field. Yeah, and... yeah, Motley Crue was a massive band for me. Matter of fact, Motley Crue started in '84 for me. I was like right. extremely mm. into Motley Crue by '84, mm. uh, and that was that was a huge band for me. So, like, uh, you know, it was ironic that later in life I'd become friends with them and work with some of them, and still to this day talk to to a couple of them. Uh, but like at the time they were larger than life because you're talking about moving it. You're talking about moving out yeah. there when before, right before they dropped Dr. Feel Good. And yeah. that album, it was like one of the most incredible and biggest, you know, heavy metal commercial successful records of all time. Yeah. Um, and you can, you know, on you par with Appetite for construction i say construction because i've always said i always wanted to have an album called appetite for construction with a guy on the front wearing a a thong and a tool belt nice um, yeah. oh that'd be awesome yeah bob the builder on the cover totally um, but but appetite uh you know for destruction was a huge record we played six songs i believe off of it um wow. when we were in a cover band which was literally we were a cover band up to the day we left to move to los angeles because mm you could not play cover you couldn't play originals in in rock clubs in atlanta and atlanta was the closest city to where we grew up in this little town cartersville right. and rome georgia area so um it was you know there was no future yet in atlanta mm -hmm. for original rock bands not until the day we left and then it became black crows and jackal and uh all these bands that were like playing original music but at the time we were like we got to go to la so you know, but we were playing like so many songs off of Appetite and mm. and, and stuff like that, you know, because that's what we had to do to save our money up to move to L.A. What about so Def Leppard? Were you into Hysteria or were you more into time. like the organic records? Uh, no, well, well, Def Leppard was huge for me, too, in early 80s yeah. uh, when I got uh, when I got um, high and dry. Pyro no, Pyromania. And then I went back and discovered High and Dry and On Through the Night, which were huge records for me as well. Um, so that those first three, the, 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 the first, like the Mutt Lang ones, obviously, like, you know, I think he did on, on through the night and high and dry as well, but I know he did high and dry and pyromania and pyromania was just a massive, massive, massive record. And when I, I would see photograph come on, uh, MTV after school every day, I was just like, oh my God, I've got to get one of those shirts. I've got to have a union yeah. Jack sleeveless shirt. I've got to have. The, I've got to have an Ibanez Destroyer, the guitar that Phil Collin played. I've, they were like they. I, I, when I say that I was a super fan for these bands, you know, you just keep naming them off, and I'll tell you. Yeah, I mean, I Jeremy, was, do you still have Phil Collins' guitar? Because you you have his original guitar in your in your house, don't you? Uh, no. You gave it back. Oh my god. Yeah. That's amazing. You was it was it a destroyer? It was the, so yeah. It was actually well, it was a replica of the destroyer. My buddy Victor from Montreal. We're we're all tight with Phil, and he kind of had this replica done of one of the like right. the destroyer, but with like this monstrous neck on it, and like just like the way Phil likes it. And Phil was playing it. He's just like, I want this. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. So, but I want to ask you this about South Gang. You got to work with Desmond Child on on Tainted Angel. Yes. How does a band that's newly signed doesn't have uh, anything going on on radio? You're you're just you, you, all fresh. How do you get Desmond Child? And you know, do, does he have these talks with you? And and you you sort of stare at him and go, "Ooh, I like what he's doing." Is that where you learned to be a producer? Is that where you started going, "Ooh, I should pay attention to this guy"? Because uh, 
okay, yeah. So my hero was Desmond at the time because I was like, okay, I see the pattern. He's on, he's written some of the biggest songs in hard rock on the radio at the time. And so, uh, we needed help with our songwriting. They wanted to put us with songwriters, which I totally understood because we were we were just a cover band a year before. So you know, we wanted to be we Your wanted sl- to be. Slug wasn't writing for you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was like still trying to figure out how to write myself, and mm. and uh, we, you know, it was the on, one of the only advantages of being the last one of the last major record album deals given to a band like us at the time, which was a big, huge record deal, six figure deal, and wow. we were like, okay. Uh, I said right to the A&R guy, get me Desmond Child, get in the room, get us in the room with him, and we can make a record that will mm. be way better than what we can do with anybody else. Uh, you know, that was our mentality. And um, and it happened. And I think, you know, wow. he just, he he liked the band. Uh, and um, we, we went and did a crash course every day. And it was uh, me, Jace, and Slug. I'm sorry, me, Jace, and Jesse. And we went to um, his house in Santa Monica. Uh, and we would go and do writing sessions. And we would sit there and write. And he, he would put us through the ringer. He was a, he was a, he was a tyrant, uh, but a wonderful, like he was incredible. And it was, you know, at the time I was starstruck and mesmerized with his abilities to do these songs and string these lyrics together and, and be poetic like this. And it was, I was learning, you know, I mean, he definitely, like, he looked at me one time. I remember when I had a lyric idea, uh, and it had something, it was a song title that had love in the title. And he was just feeling catty that day. And, you know, Desmond, can, he was very catty. And he said, he said, what do you know about love? You're not even a person yet. And I was like, oh, fuck. And, and <laughs> Sounds I like want, something Desmond would say. <laughs> yeah, but I wanted to kill him. And then I realized he's right. I've never even been in love. All I've done is had a bunch of sex. I don't even know anything about like heartbreak. I've never been in a marriage or divorced or had kids. I don't know anything about love. So he was right. And um, and so I sat there and like just took everything he said to heart. And, um, and it was a great experience. And it definitely... To, I, I still to this day, and when I see and talk to Desmond now, I, you know, I make sure to tell him all the time. I'm like, you know, you taught me how to write songs, and it, without you, I wouldn't have a career. Wow! Did he teach you to produce as well? No, to, he was okay. not a technical person. Uh, we were in the studio with a guy named Howard Benson, who at the time was more unknown. Right. He was, you know, he was not. He did not have the success he had when he when the '90s happened. Right. Later, late '90s, early 2000s, rather. And um and so yeah, I think the only bands he had done at the time were like Tough and Pretty Boy Floyd and Bang Tango and some other bands that were lesser known. Mm. But but you know we knew those bands. They were on the strip at the time. And um, uh, he was you know he was he was a hard guy to he was a hard you know nut to crack in the studio, and he was a tough he was tough. But I definitely learned a lot because I was like you know one day this is what I'm going to do you know. Whether anybody helps me or tells me or not, I'm going to do this. Right. And and so I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Uh, but I also I learned a lot on what to do and a lot of what not to do, I mm-hmm. think. Um, and also just being in bands later in life and struggling to ever have any money, I had to always have my four track, eight track, sixteen track, whatever I had. Mm-hmm. That was all I had to make our records. So I had to like I had to do them myself because yeah. we never had money in our bands. So that's, you know, I kind of just learned by trial and error. And it's funny you said that, you know, Desmond wasn't necessarily a technical guy. I mean, he's always been sort of the songwriting dude. And it I, I really feel like at the time, 
And even today, people kind of misconstrue good producer for good sounding records. I mean, at the end of the day, if you, a shitty engineer will make a shit song, a great song sound like shit. So, I mean, you know, if Desmond's not a technically town guy, if you have a great engineer in there, well, then, okay, he'll get you the cannonball snare and, you know, the big guitars and all those things. Well, and- it, well that's also, he was the executive producer on the record. And executive mm-hmm. producer usually doesn't mean somebody that comes in and starts turning knobs. That's no. somebody who's overseeing it and has the vision and comes in and almost more like a Rick Rubin. And I tell people that all the time. Producer is a vast term. It's, it's a vast description. Mm-hmm. It means a lot of things. It can mean strictly a knob jockey where they are good at getting sounds and setting up microphones and dialing in tones and have zero to say about arrangements and songs and lyrics or anything. Mm. And they just work with either good bands or bad bands. And the, I mean, what you get is what you get. And then there's some guys that don't touch any knobs and don't know how to do any of that stuff and will literally just be a, almost a negotiator or a party planner or even a psychiatrist for the band. You know, they'll literally wow. sit there and like say, this is not right. This is not right. We need to do this. We need to sound like that all right, get with the engineer and y'all make it happen. I'll be back tomorrow. And that, wow. in some cases, I'll be back in a month. <laughs> but like- That's Rick Rubin. You know, uh, <laughs> you said it, not me. But like, I think that's the thing is, you know, he's a genius though. And he he definitely was more of an A&R guy. He definitely mm. knew who to put with the right people. He was a visionary. That's important. Uh, I think it's just, it, and so I wanted to encompass all of that. I wanted to try to strive for all of it. I didn't know that I could. Uh, and I certainly don't know that I still can, but I'm at least, I always try to do that. I always, I wanted to know how to engineer everything, how to mic everything, how to play everything, yeah. how to, uh, how to write a song. So, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot more than 10,000 hours you got to put into it when you do that. But I got to say, yeah. um, it, it can be rewarding and it's, and, 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 you know, I like doing all of it. It's very, it's a hands-on thing for me. And, yeah. uh, and, and so I guess I learned from all of those guys growing up when I would pay attention to how they, how their methods were. So I have two well, questions to follow up on that. Just real quick. What's your method? And you look at Jeremy over there, he's making a record right now, his first solo record. He, he wants to try this as a producer. What, what's the first thing you say to him on day one? Bring me the songs, bring me the idea. Like you look at him and you say, all right, young, young whippersnapper, here's where we start. Well, that's, that's the first thing. If you don't have songs, then what's the point? So, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't turn songs into good songs that are just, you know, starting rough, but you know, let's, let's be honest. I don't want that much work to have to do. (laughs) I don't want to have to like take 12 songs for an album that are not up to par and then have to you know, tear them apart and rewrite them if, you know, to, to, and you know, that's not the, the band, the artist is not necessarily going to be stoked on that either. So I think you just have to find the marriage from the get go of like, okay, I understand what you're doing. I believe in these songs. Uh, now let's talk about the vision and the sound and what we're going to strive for. And I, I think it's just a day to day process. Sometimes by the third day, you might bow out of a record because you couldn't see eye to eye on that, you know, but mm. It's got to start with songs, and I know that's so cliche to say, but it really is true. You have to have good songs. Yeah, because, I mean, I guess you, you could have the best-sounding snare and guitars in the world, but if the song's shitty, you know, like I said, even with the engineer, Dude, it's a like... Kick drum so- a kick drum sound ain't going to change a kid's life. And that's I say that all the time, and sure, maybe some engineers would beg to differ and want to fight me on that, But I, and there's been some pretty great kick drum sounds out there, but... I don't put a lot of precedent on that. I would rather just go like, I know how to get a good kick drum sound, but 
it's it literally or even let's just call it a drum per, a drum performance you know it might change a young up and coming drummer's life but i just i care more about the song i care more about the the lyrics and the and what's happening in the and the whole overall performance and mm-hmm. the craft of it and whether whether it's going to make people dance or move or cry or be angry or mad or sad or whatever it just you you know a reaction is good um so I, I think it's important to get the songs right because it's yeah you just said it it's like you can't you can't like uh, you can record something great uh, but it's it might it still might be dog shit if it's a bad right. song. No, totally. I got a question for you. So I mean, looking back at your discography and like even more recently with stuff with like you know the more modern stuff, and you look at like a record. You know, you work with Pink and you produce a song then you got you know somebody else producing one song another one then you got max martin writing four hits and you know for producing four of those tracks do all of the producers of the record get together on like a conference call and discuss what the sound of the record's going to be like or no. you do your own thing and max martin does his own thing and no like, how, how does that work is it a collaboration or are you so guys- the pop world is a different beast and i, I mean the disclaimer is i don't really do a lot of pop records anymore Um, it's been a long time since I've done anything straight up pop. And that's mainly not necessarily because of the music. I love a good pop song and I've always enjoyed it. Uh, and I like making them, but the process and the politics of it, uh, is frustrating, can be frustrating. Well, cause there's a lot of ships, there's a lot of ships in the bay and there's a lot of captains and there's a lot of people making decisions. And there's also a lot of people cutting off other people behind their back. It's a manipulative business. Yeah. I don't, I don't ever want to come off as jaded cause I'm very fucking fortunate and lucky to be still making records and loving music. But yeah. I just didn't always love where it was headed. I didn't love that. It was like, you know, you're right. It wasn't collaborative. It was these people over here are just trying to beat what you're doing. It's more about getting right. the single. It's mm-hmm. more about getting the single and having. So it, there was a lot of underhanded shit happening. You know, right. there'd be a lot of like stealing other people's song ideas and getting it to the finish line quicker and stuff. And that's wow. It's, it's just gross. I just was like that. That's gross to me. But like, but. I get it. Maybe a lot of people are into that. It's like, you know, it's like being a scammer on a phone call. Those people don't have a conscience about it, about ripping off some old lady, you know, in Kansas. They're just doing it and they're like, hell yeah, fuck yeah. I I just ripped that woman off. That's badass. Whereas like it felt a little bit like that in the Hollywood pop scene with producers. Um, well, and you know, Jim Valance told us the same thing. He said back in the day when he was writing, and Holly Knight was there, and um, uh, what's uh, Desmond, they would all send songs to Aerosmith, and all, and you, it was about getting your song. That's and right. They had to like basically fight each other backstage to get their yeah, song. And, yeah, just manipulating mm-hmm. uh, an artist to be like, no, 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 fuck them. You got to listen to yeah. mine. Yeah, fuck Desmond. Right. We got to go I, use I, my song. Right. I got really tired of that. That was gross, and I, I didn't want to be a part of it. And so, um, I find that you know I, I live I live a little better uh, and sleep a little better at night, knowing I'm not trying to make records that are based on, uh, you know behind the scenes moves and more just more yeah. just trying to make music, you know? I mean, regardless of what kind of music, you know? Uh, but if Pink came to you and said, I, you're going to be the producer on my next album in 2022, I'm not calling anybody in, it's just you, you'd, you'd do it. Oh, yeah, and by the way, I'm not saying that I'm unappreciative or I wouldn't be okay. a team player. Yeah. There's there's certain people I would, I would make exceptions for, Pink being one of them, because not only She's are we terrific. great... 
she's incredible and she's she's one of the best in the pop world but she's also a good friend and and she's got scruples and and morals and she's really yeah. she does not play that game and she's also not complicit to it and there's been right. artists I've worked with that were complicit to it and just play dumb to it uh, and she doesn't do that. She won't play that. Even though she's, you know, done her fair share of records with Max Martin and like it's a thing. Like it's like, you know, you got Jack Antonoff and 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 Max Martin and all these big, big pop guys that like when people go, Oh, they're available. Will you, do you want to work with them? You would be stupid not to try. So yeah. as an artist. And so and and the results usually ends up being great. So it's like I I, I would do it in a heartbeat, but um, like I said, I just don't do a lot of records like that with multiple producers on them anymore. I don't, yeah. I don't like that uh, process, but, but I, um, I will say I'm super grateful if I get a song on a record these days, mm -hmm. I don't want anybody to think that I'm just like, you know, where this is my sandbox, get out. It's not <laughs> like that. I don't want to be old man yells at the sky. I, I'm very proud of my career and I'm very, very grateful that I get any work at all. Because yeah. being doing production and writing for twenty years, I, I like to think is a fucking anomaly, and I'm I'm just glad that I still get to even make them at all. I don't care if they chart. I don't care if they're successful. I just want to be able to do the work and enjoy what I'm doing. Yeah, one of my favorite songs of the last stress record was Fire Part One, and you were the producer on that one. Yeah, <laughs> that was a fun uh, one. Talk about that session because it's interesting to hear how it goes from the studio version to how they perform it live. It's like it's such a lively performance. Like even even the studio version, like the drums and like it could be programmed, but it also sounds live. Like talk about the production of that song a little bit. Yeah, no, it's all live. I'm, I mean, you know, not live band in a room, uh, but definitely yeah. all tracked live. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, gets is great drummer. Uh, everybody's an incredible player. Adam's an, a great guitar player. Uh, and they also, it just kind of felt like walking into <laughs> with them. It was beautiful. Like they walked in and they were dressed and looking at and acting exactly like I did when I was their age. So <laughs> nice. it was really fun to be like, Oh my God, you guys are, you guys, I, this is like me in 89, 88. And it was cool. But at the same time, they were young and 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 they were young and hungry and young and dangerous. Young and dangerous <laughs> to be a quote for the song. And uh, they, um, you know, they were open to all these great, like all these cool, like rock ideas that we did in the track. And like we, he and I even did a, uh, we even did the the dual lead solo together live. Mm -hmm. uh, he and I played it together because oh. he he liked my guitar playing, and I would always be like, oh, we need a we need to do a big we need to do a thin lizzie dual lead solo right here this would be so great yeah and they and they they have the knowledge too they're like they love mop the hoople and they love uh slade all and that old glam shit sweet. yeah and i'm like oh this is like i'm like a kid in a candy store i get to just recreate these sounds and mm -hmm. and make this vibe but like with a little bit more of a modern take on it and and, and you know uh the singer is a force he is a yeah. fucking force luke is a he's a monster singer. Like he would just one take everything and walk. He's the vision. He walked around and like knew exactly what he wanted. He was pacing constantly. And it was, it was really cool to work with those guys just for that reason alone, you know? Mm -hmm. Now a session like that, like talking about, you know, getting those vintage sounds and bringing it more into a modern era. I mean, are you miking up cabinets in the studio? Is it all digital or? No, no, no. We I, I use all I I I I still mic cabinets and use amplifiers. Wow. Yeah, isn't that weird? That's uh, bizarre. 
I know, but I mean, I love, <laughs> I love, I love modelers. There's a line six helix right there. Yeah. Like, but I use everything. I use, I use uh, cabinets. I use combo amps. I use mics. I use an aux. Uh, okay. cab simulator with real amps. I use a Helix, which is no real amp. Uh, I yeah. use it all. And it's all like based on just what's in my head. I'm like, oh, I know this thing does that very well. I'm going to go do that with this right now. Yeah. Uh, and so it it doesn't matter, man. I, I've played shit for people and, and literally told them that it was the, the opposite of what they said it was mm-hmm. or what they think it is. And they're like, oh yeah, I can tell. And it's like so full of shit. It's yeah. like, you know, I'll be like, <laughs> I'll be, I'll, I'll, they'll be like, is that a real amp on there? And I'll be like, yes, yes, it is. And they'll be like, oh, I can tell it's really warm. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah, it's a helix. You used a ribbon mic on that, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used a ribbon, <laughs> I used a ribbon mic profile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, it's, yeah. I mean, people don't know uh, at the end of the day. Yeah, unless you're Montlang, you're not going to be able to tell a, a BAE 1073 to uh, a Neve. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, those records were, those records are incredible, you know? I mm-hmm. mean, those records are incredible, and there's a lot of synthetic recording on those. The drums aren't real on a lot of them. Yeah. They're programmed on a Lindrum with overdubbed cymbals. Yeah. Uh, Fairlight and... Fairlights and uh, gu- guitars sampled and Rockman sustainers and, and Rockman, you know, yeah. uh, amplifier. It, it's, yeah, dude, it doesn't matter. It does yeah. not matter. The, the I am not a purist is- that way. Yeah, the I end don't think Rick is Allen has uh, played on a Def Leppard record since 1982, quite frankly. Yeah, and, but you know what? He gets <laughs> no to go offense. out. He, no, but he gets to go out there live and beat the shit out of the drums with that one arm and kill it, and it's amazing. Yep. And and I and and, and more man. power, more power to that band for sticking with him on that. They could have replaced him in a heartbeat, and it's like, nope, that's our brother. We're going to revolutionize drumming, live drumming. But they did mm-hmm. by by creating those pedals and that drum kit. That it's changed amazing. everything afterwards. Yeah, and they're playing to tracks. There's background vocals canned and all that stuff. But find an artist that's not doing that these days. It's weird. I mean, it used to be like people died over that shit. Millie Vanilli died. They yeah. like they like committed suicide when people found out they were like lip syncing. Now it's like people are just like, yeah, I did it. Who cares? You know? Yeah. It's wild. It's like it's I, a different world. I think it's all about the show at the end of the day. I don't it care is. if you're playing the tracks or not. If it, it if it elevates the performance and I feel like I'm getting my money's worth, well, hey, more power but, to them. Yeah, I've, got, I've gone to I've gone to seen one man bands, one one woman bands and one man bands play live to tracks, and it's a full band going on, and it's just them singing, and the show is incredible. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's like and I'm glad way, that we're more. We've changed the word. We 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 used to have concerts. Now we have shows. We have shows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's we, not a concert. Yeah, right. we changed yeah. the word. Yeah, true that. what's the most important part of your recording process these days um i'd I'd say you know i i really i care a lot about the the tracks on getting the tracks right and and the vocal is very important to me so i want to make sure that if i'm working with a singer that needs help that i help them and get a great vocal uh the vocal like i said a vocal can change someone's life with what they're saying and what they're singing about um a lot of times they're an incredible singer and I don't need to tell them a fucking thing. Mm-hmm. And they, I'm just like, let's just record it well and, and get it down. Yeah. So, but, but it's, it's all those things together. It's the sum of the parts for sure. You know? Right. 
I think we're gonna have to set up a part two because this was really fun. I've got so many more questions, Mitch. I know, <laughs> I, know. I know, and we got to run off to do uh, to talk to John Five. I know. I'm so yeah. sorry. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do this with me, and uh, uh, and and that we got to jump. But I'm happy to I'm happy to do a part two with you whenever you want. So yeah, yeah, I absolutely. would love to. And and I'll just quickly say, uh, SR Seventy One is a band that you had some, and they had a song called Right Now that you wrote. I love I that co- song. I co-wrote, yeah. Thank I you. I love that song. That is such a good song. And they had a Mitch in the band, too. So They did. <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> <laughs> Another good reason. And I saw them open up for Bon Jovi. So uh, that's just a... Probably That's the first awesome. song in probably the first song in the 2000s that I liked. I went, oh, here's a new song. Okay, That's okay. cool. That was one of the first th- songs that like put me on the map a little bit for sure. It's mm. a you, you know that song at all, Jeremy? Right now by no, uh, SR. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to it. It's a it, it's a great. I don't want to say pop song, but it's 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 a pop, pop punk pop, almost. Pop, pop rock, yeah. pop rock, mm. pop punk. Yeah. yeah, it's it's cool. cool. Yeah, it's cool. Go check album. it out. Sweet. Thank you, Butch. We will uh, we will reconvene and do a part two because we, we we didn't even get into the nitty gritty. I mean, right, right, right. We're just, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're just, just laying to... a foundation right now. Yeah, we we're not. We house. didn't even break through the ice yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, just let me know. I mean, we can get back on the horn here yeah. in a, in a little bit if you want. So. Okay. Cool. Hey, real quick, we got another one minute before we go. What's the main guitar you're using right now? Yeah. Oh. Uh, um. Well, let's see. I've got several, but. Um, these two right here are pretty special to me. Um, this is my, this is a custom shop. Uh, wow. Hand, look at that. And built, uh, 69, wow. 69 neck reverse headstock with, uh, spray over gold with a Vega trim, Ooh. uh, and DeMarzio Utopia pickups. I'm, I'm a new endorser oh. of, 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 of DeMarzio, which what's old is new again. Yeah. Cause I worshiped them when I was growing up and their pickups. Oh. And now I'm one of their artists and this is my 72 Les Paul custom. Mm-hmm. All, only thing missing is Mick wow. Mars and stencil on the back. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and this guitar is very special to me too. And, uh, and I just put, uh, some DeMarzio's in this and it's, you just uh, want to play looks that kill on that. I do yeah, every do. day. <laughs> I do it every day and on through the night. I play that record a lot. So nice. My Steve Clark's and my Pete Willis. So yeah. And talking about DeMarzio, Phil just to converted me from super threes to X two ends. So oh, that's, he did. That's two ends. That's wow, the new right. one. You, That's cool. They just I'm, scream. Yeah, I like. I, I kind of do their more pr- traditional PAFs. I love the mm-hmm. PAFs, uh, but these Utopias are really fun, and they're the Steve yeah. I pickup, which I was like, I'm gonna just try them because yeah. they look cool. And mm-hmm. I mean, he's got good tone. I've got and, one of the. Uh, uh, I got the Steve I Gravity Storm neck pickup in one of my strats, and that thing is just incredible. That's that's fun. Yeah, they're great pickups and cool mm-hmm. company too. So yeah. All right. Well. All right, let's Part get out two. of here. <laughs> All right, <laughs> we will we will reconvene at some point. But now we will. Uh, and by the way, uh, yep. that record, uh, John Shanks, who worked with Bon Jovi, was also on that uh, SR seventy one album. So, oh yeah, yeah, the Bon Jovi record, he produced that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So a lot of a lot of uh, six degrees of separation going on SR seventy one. You know. Nice. <laughs> but all right, we, we will uh, reconvene. And uh, thank you, sir. Thank you for doing this. All right, guys, and thank you so much. All right, Cheers. we'll keep in touch. See you later. Take care. Bye bye. Cheers.